everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio, featuring the crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 all-star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. Power Athlete Nation, what's happening? Tex here. I'm on a little solo show with old friend Allie Kirshner. Allie, how you doing today? What's up, Tex? It's great to be back. I know we had you on previously preseason and this past year has been a roller coaster of emotion and you're facing some new opportunities and challenges. So we're going to cover this year and then aim to check out what's ahead for you and, and what motivated you to take on these new challenges. So let's, let's lead off with, with your, let's, let's not hold anything back, man. What are the new challenges that you're facing and then let's let's bring it back into that that whole college season that you had an epic run with your your team. <laughs> it seems like a lot has changed since we last spoke. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but and yet I have a new role. I have a a new you know set of events that's kind of occurred in my life. But yeah, let's let's start with what kind of what I guess what challenges I'm currently facing. Well, first and foremost, I'm working from home, which is. You know, obviously everybody was working from home and then a lot of people started going back. I am one of the lucky few that is still a work from home warrior. So I've got a pretty sweet sweat, pretty sweet setup. But um, yeah, it's challenging to, you know, be remote, be virtual still a lot of the time and, and keep yourself motivated. Obviously, working for a startup, a small company, mm-hmm. Art of Coaching makes that a little bit easier because there's always something to do. But um, yeah, it's just kind of adjusting to a, a new routine, a new way of life when you're used to coaching people every day and be down on the floor for hours at a time and then kind of going into, you know, your, your own little space and, and having to, you know, get up every so often, find a new place, go to a coffee shop, mix it up so you don't, you don't lose the train of focus. But, um, you know, that's obviously a challenge. And then the big challenge is, you know, instead of coaching athletes, I'm coaching coaches. And, you know, you, you and I have talked a little bit about this, but coaching coaches is a totally different beast. You know, Mm -hmm. we, as coaches, I think we are super aware of the coaching process and we like to pride ourselves typically in being pretty open-minded, but I actually think that a lot of us have some egos, myself included, that makes it just a a little bit harder to uh, accept feedback, make changes, especially to our behavior. So uh, I went from the very moldable minds of youth to maybe the slightly less moldable minds of adults. That's, that's right. And how would you describe your role with the, the art of coaching now? So my role is technically the director of creative strategy. What? But that's awesome. Yeah, right. So it's funny. Brett and I joke about this a lot. You know, he was bringing me on. He was like, well, what do you want your title to be? And we threw around <laughs> a couple ideas and um, we kind of went back and forth a little bit. And I told him, you know, I really want the word creative to be mm-hmm. in the title. And that might sound funny, but I've never considered myself a creative person, but I very much value creativity in a person, in a role, I think it's super important. And it's something that I've kind of, it's like a aspirational title so that I hope that I can fulfill this as I grow into the position for sure. But yes, technically, you know, my day to day, 
I'm doing a lot of our marketing, a lot of our outreach to our community, a lot of content creation with Brett, and then obviously running these apprenticeship live workshops mm-hmm. is, a, is a large part of what I do. Oh, that's, and that, those are not easy. Certainly the no. <laughs> very dense weekend experience. Uh, t- titles are an interesting thing. And I lucked into an opportunity here with Power Athlete, well, through hard work. And the title, it was an interesting thing where I got the opportunity to pick title as well. And I was kicking around the idea of we had the C-suite with Wellborn as the CEO and then I'm like, all right, I'll be the COP, the chief of optimal performance, kicking mm-hmm. that around and realizing like the and getting thrust into the entrepreneurial, the business and understanding how those small time experiences operate. There is weight and value with titles. So then re-step that back instead of making a joke of it, it turned into, OK, then the, the director roles and understanding pieces of that. So I, I love the, the creative aspect and it's, it's, you're aiming for more. You're hoping to, to grow into this role rather than, and I had this conversation with a friend recently about careers and new opportunities. They're like, well, people don't want these jobs that they know they can do. They're, they're aiming to step into roles and responsibilities mm-hmm. like yourself that, that I don't, force is the wrong word, but put yourself in a position for growth. And absolutely. What what was that push to to get? I mean, you reached the pop, the top. You won the national championship. You did it all by yourself, right? And then yep, all by myself. Wanted more, and and Brett presented this opportunity. Yeah, you know, it's obviously a little bit of a mic drop. <laughs> um, looking back on it, I didn't actually intend it to be that way. Um, I had, you know, for a long time, been kind of starting to have this feeling that. I was super interested in and consuming material around and researching and like truly like nerding out on human behavior and communication for a long time. This goes back to when I was doing my master's thesis Mm -hmm. and, you know, I started thinking about it and I was like, I love coaching, but it's not the X's and O's of strength and conditioning that I'm loving coaching. It's the coaching of the people. And so I kind of started thinking, okay, well, maybe this is the, still the best vessel to do that, right? Like maybe staying in strength and conditioning, the field, like I love the field, I love the people I work with, maybe I should just stay. And then the more I started thinking about it, I was like, I'm not challenged on a day-to-day basis the way that I would like to be in terms of being able to learn and grow the interpersonal side of things. Um, and I, I really just wanted an opportunity to do that full-time. So it was a combination of getting to do that full time, but also I have entrepreneurial blood. I am the child of two entrepreneurs and it's kind of been ingrained in me since the day I was born. Uh, this idea of like, you know, working for a small company, growing something organically, the, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the trusting yourself, you know, collegiate athletics, whether you like it or not, you don't have to sell. You, you, you do have to sell your athletes on a good program, but you have the athletes come to you. And because of that, you can kind of get away with some stuff. I didn't want to be able to get away with anything. So it came down to, do I trust myself? Am I ready for the next step? And my ultimate value is growth and learning. So it just felt really in alignment with that. That's, that's awesome. Did, did Brent reach out or was this something you presented? Hey, there's an opportunity. 
I know there is an avenue with Art of Coaching that I could potentially add value to. So was it he reaching out or you presenting this to him? It actually goes back uh, maybe 18 months ago. It was like a few days after he had just had his baby, Bronson. So it's a really good time to reach out to somebody. And he was probably still in the hospital, you know, taking care of Liz and the baby. And I, I texted him or I emailed him. And, you know, he hates email too, which was, so it's just yeah, like it's a funny. comedy of errors. I like emailed the most busy guy on the planet while he was having a baby. And well, his wife was having a baby, but that's technical. Um, and I said, you know, hey, Brett, I just finished, I think it was valued his, you know, second course. And it, it really just, it, it struck a chord. And I was like, you know, I just want to extend some social capital. And if there's any way that I can help you, I, I truly believe in what you're doing. And I know that you don't have a ton of help and maybe you can't, you know, expand your company right now, but I'd just like to help, you know, I have some extra time in my role. So if there's something that I can, I can do to support you, I would love to do it. So I kind of just like reached out to volunteer and I was like, I didn't hear back, you know, and for a couple of weeks, understandably. And when he finally did, he was like, you know, Ali, respectfully, we have a lot of people that reach out. They're interested in helping, but, you know, they kind of taper off after a couple of weeks. We get, we give them an assignment and, you know, they're, they're, the shiny sticker kind of fades and, and all of a sudden real life hits them and they don't have time. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, that's not me, but let me prove it to you. So he kind of put me in charge of these podcast reflections. So for every podcast episode that he releases, he has this PDF that goes along with it with some questions that people can kind of look at as they're going through. And I was like, great. So, I mean, man, I took this so seriously. I was like listening to every episode like three times. And I was like Whoa. thinking of these like super deep questions. And I was like, I'm going to prove to this guy that I'm in it. And uh, yeah, obviously I was like volunteering and he, uh, you know, I kept doing it. Like it'd been like, you know, 20, 30, 40 episodes. I can't remember the exact number. And he was like, well, how do you feel about writing the show notes too? You know, you're already listening to every episode three times. So um, you probably should write the show notes. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll write the show notes. And then it turned into, well, can you, uh, you know, maybe help us pick an audiogram, like a snippet that we can post on social media. So I was like, sure. So then I started being in on the staff meetings. <laughs> there you go. And, you know, I was obviously still just part-time or not even part-time. I was just volunteering. And uh, when kind of COVID hit and we were living in the bubble, he actually reached out to me. He's like, would you like to do some like more with us? Like actually part-time and, you know, we'll pay you just a little bit and, you know, kind of keep you on retainer. So I did. And, you know, over time, we just kind of built our relationship and he was prodding. He was like, so when are you going to come on full time? We got a position for you. And uh, eventually it got to the point where I was like, this is the perfect combination of staying in the profession in a way that I can still influence and, and be with the people that I love, but take that next step in terms of developing a business acumen and marketing skills and copywriting and how to run a small company and things like that. Very much so. And brand. Yes. Very, very absolutely. important. It, there is, there's a lot to, to learn, especially young coaches out there paying attention is, is offering up and creating opportunities for yourself to help versus just maintaining an entitlement and an expectation of, oh, they, they should call me. I'm great. No, 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 no. Present opportunities and then, I mean, do your job. 
And eventually, once you're a trusted resource for entrepreneurial individuals, they'll give you more responsibility until it leads to an eventual full-time gig. I'm very happy it, it worked out for you in that, in that respect. Hard work does pay off. Yeah, I don't think I've actually ever told that story. It's, it's, a, it's just easy when good people, you know, start working together and it's just very organic and it just feels right and you just kind of have a feel for it. But yeah, it doesn't, doesn't just like happen. It's not just this like magical fusion of energy at one, one day, like the big bang, right? It's like, it, it takes time. It takes persistence. You know, it, I didn't just like call up Brett and say, Hey man, I need a job. Right. It obviously was a process. Mm -hmm. And similar in the strength and conditioning realm, like when you see a school's job posting for a position, you can almost know it's already been filled. They're just doing their due diligence and all this background networking and opportunities, connections and relationships building that does matter. And you're entering in then to this other side of the strength industry, the performance industry. I won't call it fitness industry. You're going to explore a little bit into that, but this is still performance in respect to now communication, people, human behavior. And what's cool about the art of coaching is that it, it will expand beyond the, the X's and O's, the strength and conditioning, and see the coaching in law enforcement, see the coaching within business acumen. And uh, I do love the, the, the mission and the vision that y'all have to just, man, coaching is everywhere. And it's, it's cool. I'm excited to see what y'all get to spark up and, and put out into the world. Yeah, man, it's, it's been so exciting. Like, I don't know if, uh, if you've, you heard Brett talk about this, but he actually helped a guy run for mayor this past year. So he helped him what? with his no, I did mayoral not. campaign. Um, and then at a, an apprenticeship we had a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a firefighter who was getting ready for his captain's test. So it like, it truly spans such a wide variety of people. And that's the, exactly the way you'd want it because mm -hmm you know, when these people are sharing their experiences, it starts getting your mind running and you're like, oh man, I didn't even think about that, but that would be so tough. And then you're role-playing those scenarios with that person and just opens you up to like, wow, wow. Either my problems are really small or um, I could approach this so many different ways. But yeah, I think, you know, we're really fighting the idea that coaching exists only in sport. I think coaching is everywhere. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's doctors coach doctors and, um, you know, it, it go, I mean, I can, obviously I just like, that was one example, but you know, it's everywhere. So, um, yeah, we're excited to, to see the growth of it. And, um, I, I'm just, I'm pumped to like finally be at a place where I feel pushed to, to kind of grow every day. Oh yeah. And I mean that entrepreneurial blood, it's gonna, it's gonna pay off because it's not going to be easy, but you work hard and you, just, you get to, to lay down at night and know you're doing something. Even though there's an infinite to-do list the next day, you still accomplished a little bit each day. Dude, you, you hit it spot on. And uh, I was, you know, it, it's just been interesting. I left, obviously, collegiate strength and conditioning. And all of a sudden I have like, you know, eight to 12 texts from people who are like considering the same thing. And, you know, like, so what, what's it like, you know, how'd you, how'd you know when it was time to leave or how do you feel about your, your decision? Like, are you, are you freaking out? Like, has it been okay? Like, well, are you still alive? You know, like things like that. Um, but it's, it's just kind of goes to show that 
a lot of people are thinking about things like this and and it's um it's more common than is led on um by by what you see on strength coach twitter and such oh yeah and the the beauty is you found a way to stick within the world mm-hmm. of performance versus oh i'm thinking about leaving coaching what are you going to do i don't know sell insurance no you've developed a skill set of building relationship empowering others and they can find opportunities within the world of the the performance industry and the i mean that that aspect the avenue of coaching coaches is expanding so i hope yeah. they do find an opportunity to stay within the performance lane absolutely man it you know what we're really finding is an interesting dilemma I don't think this is anything new, but I'm new to it is how do you sell people on something that they think that they already do, right? How do you, how do you sell somebody on communication? And you know, you might think, Mm. oh, that's, that's pretty obvious. Like you, just like you sell anything else, but no, like we all wake up and think that we're good at communication and we're getting better at it just because we do it. And it's really hard to get people to admit that they might not be great at communication and then they might need this, especially when there's all these other sexier online courses or in-person, you know, workshops where you can go lift heavy weights and, you know, do Kung Fu and, and things like that, that look good on Instagram. Well, that goes to the importance of branding. And I'm sure a lot of the lessons that you're learning on the fly as you get into it and finding a way to show people that they are limited, that they may be good communicators, but they, there's potential that they can be great. And rather than just telling them and, you know, using the text, I, I personally love the, the video clips and the snippets where you're learning something more. If there's one thing I don't know, well, what else potential within the, the in-person experience or the online course can I take away? So, so on that note, text, all right. This is a game that we've been playing at Ooh. our apprenticeships. A new one. A new one. A new one. I know now you were there. Nervous. You were there at the beginning. Um, but this is no. This speaks exactly to what we were just talking about. How would you? So you you take the apprenticeship. You got to come back here to Power Athlete, and you're talking to the big guy in charge. How do you sell him on communication? How do, he says, "Hey, hey, man, I just paid this money for you to go to this apprenticeship." What the hell did you get out of it? How are you selling that to him? Uh, to the big guy, probably identifying my personal limitations based off our experiences. So maybe referencing back towards a, uh, a conflict or a mistake that I made or a loss of communication that, uh, let's just say, prevented us from securing a sponsor- sponsorship opportunity. Like I dropped the ball on something. I would use one of my own mistakes to show him, okay, well, here's the solution that I will use moving forward so this does not happen again. And then, like, showing, I, I put my f- fault first and then say, okay, well, they also introduced these different type of tools and then aim to work on our communication as a team or a unit. So then there's, there's leading up and then there's, like, leading down managing so my my communication strategy on both directions certainly does need improvement but there was plenty of takeaways from my experience at the apprenticeship so then coming back to sell the big guy i show my limitations and then present solutions that i take away that 
That's my answer. Fast thinking. Yeah, no, I like it. Well, one, you got plenty of tools behind you. So just as you're saying, the you know, literal the tools, tools, there's a hammer yeah, on the literal wall. tools. Yeah. Well, if he, if the tools that you brought back aren't enough, you still got 50 hammers behind you. So, <laughs> um, no, but it, it got me thinking about the game that I don't know if we, I think we played it when you were at the apprenticeship. Um, and for those who are listening, who have no idea what we're talking about, the apprenticeship is a two day workshop where we work on communication through role playing and improv, mm-hmm. but we played a game called problem solution where one person presents another individual with a problem, like I have a flat tire. And then um, they say, uh, the other person says, great, uh, I have a horse's skull. And somehow you have to use the solution that they give you to solve your problem. Um, So Tex, you have a flat tire and I have a horse's skull. Well, I'm going to use this horse's skull to barter with John's neighbor that this is a one-of-a-kind, unique horse that raced back in the day. It's 1800 skull. It's not. 1800 skull, I'll barter with you for those, those old tires that are just accumulating in the back. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. That was perfect. So, yeah, obviously lateral thinking is highly involved in these apprenticeships, getting mm-hmm. out of your own way so that you can not just think of the obvious answers, but maybe you're going to bring back that horse's ancestor through your, you know, talking to the dead and the horse is going to draw your, like a horse on carriage is going to take your car out of the mud and get you to the, yeah. there you the dealership. There you go. Much improved. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're going back to the show versus just telling these people this information. It's, it was such an immersive experience because we presented the, not we, the art of coaching presented the lecture and the key points. And then, okay, that, yeah, that makes sense. Now I'm going to force you into this scenario where you're going to have to live this mistake. And I'm going to show you how poor communication you are when I put you on the spot. Go. And then we're able to coach each other up and, and realize like, ah, yeah, you know, we can improve that. So it was, a, it was cool. And there was a couple staffs there at the, the one I attended, which I thought was great because the leader and then his team we're all going through this and you had the leader making an ass of himself, which then freed up, you know, the younger, uh, employees, apprentices, whatever he had going on there to then just, Hey, all right, be cool, relax. Let's make some mistakes and don't be afraid to make a joke of yourself. Yeah. I think the art of embarrassing yourself is an underappreciated skill. I think it's really important to, to kind of show your human side at all times, you know, with every population you work with. And uh, it just, it, it just like lowers the barrier to entry and conversation, makes you more relatable as a leader. I just have really, you know, it, it's really uncomfortable and it kind of sucks, but it's always been one of the more effective tools I've ever used. So take us back to then coaching. Were you able to then like, I mean, there's a lot of strength coaches that just try to, you know, the you know, cut off sleeves, strong arm people into doing things. And did you find the opposite worked for you? Well, first of all, the, the cut off sleeves never worked for me because I can't really fill them out. Um, so that not would with not that attitude. In, <laughs> I would, that would not have been super intimidating. You know, those who know me know I'm of a slender build. And while I might try to put on size through my various weightlifting modalities, I cannot. I have literally 
done everything possible uh, to to gain some LBs, but this uh, this endurance runner's frame doesn't seem to to pack it on as efficiently. But anyway, um, to answer your question, while it wasn't that, um, you know, I, I didn't go to the opposite end of the spectrum in that way. I definitely, you know, I, while I didn't mean to embarrass myself, there were several times where I did embarrass myself in front of athletes, whether through demonstration or messing up an inspirational talk that we were having at the end. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, they're laughing and then you have to laugh. Like if you don't laugh, then you're the asshole. So, uh, you know, and then I'm laughing and then suddenly you're a human and nobody remembers the stupid thing that you did, or maybe they do, but you're, you're one of them. And mm -hmm. it's, it's so much easier to buy into a person and believe in them when you see yourself in them than if they could just see them as this aspirational, unattainable person on a pedestal. Do you feel that that was earned through throughout your career or something you had a, a an ability to connect that helped then you become a great coach? Well, I think initially it was really difficult to find the line between coach and athlete because I was of a very similar age to a lot of the people that I was coaching. You know, I came right out of college and was instantly coaching my peers, like actually people that were older than me. So it was, it was hard to be relatable and embarrass myself and do a lot of those things when I was first coaching, because I almost had to exude this false confidence and this like big personality to show them like, don't, Hey, don't F with me. Um, and, and as I got older and more confident and started seeing more of a, a gap between our ages, I think it was easier for me to be like, look, they're not going to, they're not going to cross that line between friend and coach. So I can, I can let myself be a little bit more vulnerable knowing they're not going to cross that boundary. And I'm not going to cross that boundary either. Yeah. My first coaching experience, grad assistant to my team. So I was coaching my friends, former teammates, Impossible. And now they were my athletes. Well, there was challenges. I was also uh, team captain for a lot mm -hmm. of these guys. So it was the same expectation, you know, uh, a high expectation of performance. There was some conflict with like the some of the freshmen, the younger guys that were walking into that college experience for the first time and the high expectation possibly in the weight room where the weight room is not as associated with the sport of lacrosse as it is football. So these guys were first exposed to the barbell and, mm -hmm. you know, I freaking Texas football player coach with the expectation. And, uh, certainly I got the division three for a few years to really learn how to coach versus just that high demand of people and realizing like, all right, let's, let's establish an expectation versus a demand. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show you that different coaching styles are required. And mm -hmm. even within that, you, there were probably people that would have done better with a more demanding style uh, coach. Whereas obviously, as you saw, there were others that did not. And I think it's one of the most common flaws that we have is that you're told that you have to develop this coaching philosophy and this coaching persona. Like, what kind of coach are you? Like, what kind of question is that? I'm whatever kind of coach is required of the situation. You know, like we're a Swiss army knife. We need to be able to pull out one type of coaching for one athlete and another type for another athlete. And while your overall 
you know, value system and, and the way that you deliver information might have a common thread, I think it's actually a huge miss to think that we could have one specific type of coaching style. It's, did you study coaching and kinesiology this form in undergrad or grad school? Um, so my undergrad was in evolutionary anthropology. I took a lot of courses on monkeys and primate sexual evolution. Um, that was literally one of my courses that I took. Sounds interesting. Yeah. We're just gonna, but like literally when my parents came for graduation, they had us in the department, you know, room and our head of the department was delivering the, the ceremony. And I will never forget the first slide on her PowerPoint, you know, that was going to go into all of the graduates was what is evolutionary anthropology and what have you been paying tuition for for the last four years? And all the parents are just like erupting in laughter because it truly was, it was like trying to explain to somebody who has no idea what strength and conditioning is, what it is, right? You're like evolutionary anthropology. Okay. So like monkeys that was the best i could come up with anyway yeah that was my undergrad did primate behavior lead you to a passion for human behavior it must have right like it was like implanted in my head um but but yeah i mean that's where that's where it started there was a lot of a lot of study of behavior and the the cognitive evolution and i think that probably transpired into other things but now we're going we're going super meta right now I have I was no idea. just leading to the lateral thinking. A lot of the the coach, I find it fascinating. Some of the best coaches I know didn't study and invest that formal college education in the sports performance, the college. So when it I, it just fascinates me that there are full departments dedicated throughout the country, and there's a lot of them that are are training coaches, and then we we have private sectors like art of coaching and power athlete that then take on this responsibility and whether it's continuing the education for those individuals that sought the undergrad and are still finding limitations within their their experience to then apply to become who they know they can be or people that pick coaching up as a second career or post career or oh I'm a football coach I got handed the weight room now what do I do and it's interesting to 50% of our online academy students, they have no certification, and this is their first introduction to strength and conditioning. So that stat always blows my mind, like, all right, well, we don't have to unlearn some things. We can That's just focus good. on learning and empower your performance. That's crazy. I, yeah, you're, you got me thinking now. I mean, I don't think I've ever shared this on any um, – kind of public platform either, but my initial thought that, uh, of, for career choice was that I was going to be in international relations and diplomacy. So oh. that probably speaks more to what I ended up in than anything else. What education was required for that? Um, well, kind of when I was looking at schools, there were a lot that had international relations and public policy departments. Um, so it probably would have been a degree in something like that, but I think there's probably a lot in knowing a language, a different language would have been huge, I think, obviously, and then um, understanding foreign politics and and stuff like that. But you would have to assume that communication would have been massive because that is 
I'm sure diplomacy these days is synonymous with communication. Oh yeah. And yeah, understanding culture and the different yeah. things like, Oh, can't, can't give a thumbs up in this country. That's the middle finger. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking about cultures changes coming from the university of Kansas to Stanford, even that was a culture shock in terms of the type of athlete that you're coaching and working with. And, you know, just having to, to figure out the nuance of coaching styles, what, what the athletes at KU demanded was slightly different than at Stanford for sure. How did you teach yourself the differences here? Did you go in with the expectation of, oh, I got Duke, I got Kansas, Stanford, eh, it's basically the same. Like, how did you find, oh, crap, I mean, like, culture difference? I think I, uh, the first inclination I had that there would be a difference is when I – I came to the coaches before day one of training at Stanford and I said, here are my standards. You know, like we're all going to match. We're all going to wear the same thing. We're not going to chew gum. If you're late, you got hundred feet on the Versa climber per every minute late. You got hundred feet or something like that. It's like looking back on it, I was like, damn, that's kind of tough. Um, and the coaches kind of look at me like with this, like, <laughs> like stare. And I was like, did I say something wrong? And they're like, yeah, you're not going to have to worry about any of that stuff. They're not going to be late. That's all they said. And I was like, um, okay. So here I'm like coming in guns of blazing. We're going to just do, we're going to just get to tackle these guys and show them who's boss. And I don't know, maybe that was just like kind of the, the style that had been ingrained into me and what I thought I had to embody again as a female, especially to kind of like show and assert dominance. Um, and these Stanford athletes were like, you know, they, they just want to please, they just work hard. They just want to do the right thing. And, you know, not all of them obviously, but, um, they do need to be motivated at some point, but they, they weren't going to break the rules and they definitely weren't going to like try to manipulate you in the, the way that I'd been maybe manipulated in the past. And so just understanding that they needed to be talked to differently, that they, yeah, they were going to ask a lot more questions. They wanted to understand the programming and why we were lifting heavy at this time in the season. And, Things like that, questions I had never been asked by a student athlete before. And you had, I loved your approach to coaching. We spoke to this on the previous podcast, episode 395. The, you giving your athletes options. So talk about, and you were there for two years, correct? Yeah. So talk years. about that evolution from this moment where you're saying, all right, every, I'm expecting everyone to be late. And two, then, all right, well, I had this plan but now are giving our athletes some ownership within that program. That certainly wasn't day one stuff. So how did that evolution occur within your coaching practice with that team? Yeah, it's actually really interesting. So I think when I first came in, I had these assumptions that I had made about how I was going to have to coach them and, and what I wanted out of it. And I think it's because it stemmed from an outcome of, I want them to just be strong and fast and fit. Like that was the ultimate goal. And, you know, when COVID hit, I really had to go back and kind of assess whether or not that outcome was really what I wanted. Because when I couldn't coach them in person, I was like, damn, like one, have I taught them anything? Have they learned enough to do workouts on their own, safely, effectively push themselves? And I was like, have I been approaching this from the wrong direction this whole time? So COVID like really shifted my mentality and I readjusted what I wanted that ultimate outcome to be. I said, 
I no longer care if they're the strongest, fastest, fittest individuals. I want the ultimate outcome for them to learn something about getting stronger, getting healthier, taking care of their body, knowing what they need and taking ownership of their training. And if that's the ultimate outcome, the rest will come as a byproduct. But when you set learning as the objective instead of strength as the objective, the way you get there requires some failure and it requires autonomy. So that's how I kind of came to this idea of we got to introduce play and creativity and choice into our workouts if we want them to learn anything. Um, and, and that's really where the shift happened and how I ended up kind of going 180 on my coaching style when I was at Stanford. Did you, what were some of the options so we can give to our listeners? Was it, all right, you get to pick your, I know if say it's a football team, you get to pick your bicep exercises. Like, was it accessory work? Was it squat variation? Where did the first options start to come into play to give them the tools to learn? Yeah. And I think this is, this is what scared me initially about autonomy is I was thinking like to do autonomy, like everything needs to be a choice. And that's, I think a huge uh, misnomer. Maybe some people do that. The way that I found that worked the best for our program was using sort of a GPP phase in the beginning to introduce a ton of variety in all aspects of training. So, you know, maybe we're doing a split squat one day, we're doing a reverse lunge the next day, we're doing a step up the third day, you know, just introducing as much variety as possible during a time when it's about teaching and it's about learning, it's mm -hmm. about skill defined, uh, skill development. And then, you know, once we got closer and closer to season, I was, you know, able to write a workout, which was a lot like just sort of a bare bones skeleton. So, you know, I'd have in my first block, a squat paired with a hip mobility paired with a trunk bracing exercise. And within those big buckets, I'd have an option for a choice. So if you want to pick a back squat, great, pick a back squat. If you want to pick a front squat, great, but it's got to be a bilateral squat. So I'd mm -hmm. kind of bucket them like that. And then off to the side, initially, at least I'd have like a exercise bank. So they know, okay, what are bilateral squatting movements that we've done? What are single leg squatting variations that we've done? Just so they're not like, too much choice is also a bad thing, right? And we we kind of can understand that as well. These kids are totally overwhelmed with school and stress and all that. And I, I definitely didn't want it to be like choice fatigue. So it was finding that balance of giving them options to pick what feels good to them, but also not overwhelming them to where they're stuck paralysis by analysis. And from this, we enter in the, the 2020-21 season and y'all beginning of your season, your home games were taken away. So talk about the value of, okay, I set my athletes up to learn something and then now we're in this chaotic, austere environment as athletes. Man, Tex, I don't know what I would have done if I had stuck to my previous coaching style in COVID or in this season, because if we had, you know, had those very well written out and, and beautiful looking and designed workout cards that had like, you know, 17 Excel formulas to figure out what load they should use. I, I don't know what I would have done because we were training outside. We were training in hot, um, hotel gyms. We were training at one point I was literally bringing kettlebells into a high school gym that we were training at of which the lights went off one day and we practiced without lights. So there's that. And, you know, so having 
understood and identified and then applied this idea of autonomy and choice was literally life-saving because Mm -hmm. now with one set of equipment, I could have them kind of pick and choose exercises and we were so much more flexible and adaptable with our training and we had to be. So (laughs) yeah, I was really glad that we had, we had kind of embraced that already so that when we got to the point where we're like, throw the hands up in the air, toss the workout cards, tear them up, rip them up. Um, we were, we were ready to go and we were just fine adjusting to that. What were some of the things that you and the sport coaches were, were focusing and drawing their attention to, to keep them eye on the prize versus a lot of the distractions that they may have chose to focus on? You know, well, yes, being on the road for nine weeks straight was not ideal and not something that I would wish on anybody, but it was also a time for them to really bond as a team. You know, being in a hotel for that long and in a foreign city, especially where you're, you know, your family's not there, you, you are drawn closer, whether you like it or not. So I think that was obviously a conversation we had with them, but with every, you know, possible opportunity, we just tried to make it fun. Like at one point I just said, I would rather them enjoy this than for them to truly get something scientifically, you know, related to training out of this. So at one point I literally text, like I took a group of them out to our beach volleyball court. It was the only place we could go because it was outside. And I took a mini football and we started running routes and they were running through the sand and they were catching the football. And Anna Wilson, who's on our team, who uh, the little sister of Russell Wilson was a quarterback, obviously. And she's just out there just like, bing, just like throwing dimes and making it it rain out there. Yeah. And it was so fun. And like, okay, like you could look at that and be like, well, that was, uh, did nothing for their training, but I would argue that it did everything for their training. Oh yeah. It's an expression of athleticism, a a praxis movement in which they've never done before, but they were able to execute it. That was a test for your training. I, I understand. Yeah. I mean, and if nothing else, they're sweating, they're laughing, they're getting a little vitamin D. I mean, what else can you ask for out of a session? Mm-hmm. And when were home game, when was the first home game of the season for this year? I want to say it was um, the end of January, maybe. All, wow, all the way into 21. Oh, yeah, it was in 21. Um, so essentially what we would do is, you know, we were in Vegas for the first bit. We would invite teams to come play us. And then we decided that we were just going to play every game on the road. So we would we would basically, we front-loaded our schedule with all of our away games. And if we were going to play the Arizona schools, we would play them Friday, Sunday. We'd go down to Arizona on Monday. And we'd just train at the Arizona facilities all week. So I actually have to give a huge shout-out to all the different strength and conditioning staffs that allowed us to just train in their facility because we didn't have one ourselves. That's a cool networking piece. Did you meet any cool people that just out of the blue you wouldn't have met otherwise? Well, I mean, I think I would have probably met them, but I wouldn't have uh, totally intruded on their space. It really shows you who's, uh, who's in it for the right reasons when yeah. they're willing to just like completely like open up their facility to a, an opposing team and, you know, one that's probably, you know, gonna, has a fair shot to beat them too. You know, it's like, it's easy to be, open up a facility for a bad team. <laughs> it's hard when it's like, you know, like, oh, Stanford's in town, like, oh shit. Like they might beat us on Friday, but yeah, we'll, we'll help them out anyway. So yeah, yeah cool. there are a lot of staffs that, that really showed up for us. 
Excellent. And speaking of being in it for the right reasons, this is one of my transitions into your experience now entering into the NCAA bubble for the women's tournament. Was that, that was San Antonio, correct? Yeah, San Antonio. And then you posted up a famous, all included in the show notes, a, a photo, a representation of the weight room that y'all had in the San Antonio bubble versus the, the men's basketball team that they had up in Indianapolis. Yeah. Was so, What was going through your head for that post? Was that like, oh, should I do this? Or this needs this needs to be shown? Yeah, it was a little bit of everything. So actually what first happened was I had some colleagues who, you know, we're all, we all descend on the bubble together and um, we're, we're kind of chatting. We're like, hey, has anybody seen this weight room? You know, we, we'd seen pictures of what the guys had gotten and none of us had seen it. We'd gotten this email, this very um, just sort of cryptic email with this ambiguous bulleted list of like the equipment that we were getting in our, our training facility. And it was like dumbbells and, and bars and, and whatever, but none of us had seen it. Right. So we we all get there and a couple of my colleagues trained first, they had the, one of the first practice slots and they saw it and they immediately texted. We had like a little text group and they're like, yo, you are not going to believe what we have. It is literally a dumbbell tree and some yoga mats. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, nah, like that's like not the main workout. Like that's just like what's next to the court, you know, like that's not the main weight room. So, you know, they, they start posting about it. And actually a couple of them were told to take their posts down by their Uh institutions because we're supposed to promote positivity around the tournament and we're just happy to be here and blah, blah, blah. We should just be thankful that we even got a tournament this year. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, all right, we, we practiced that afternoon and I'm talking to my associate head coach as we're walking to practice. And I was like, so apparently this weight facility that we have is like nothing. And I, I've had a couple colleagues post about it and they were told to take theirs down. And she's like, oh, well, that's crazy. Stanford would never tell you to take yours down. And I'm like, huh, interesting. So that's like kind of percolating in the back of my mind. And I show up and I see it and I'm like, oh my God, they weren't lying. Like it was literally a set of dumbbells up to 30 and a stack of like 12 yoga mats. Oh, and like a spin bike that was next to the court. Cause you know, we need a lot of cardio at this point in the season. (laughs) And I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know really what like spurred it in my mind. Obviously (laughs) I'm not like Twitter famous or Insta famous. I, uh, you know, at the time I had like maybe a thousand followers and I, I took the men's picture and I took the picture of ours and I posted them together. And that was that, you know, I was like, this needs to be said. My other colleagues weren't able to post about it, but I think something should be said. Mm -hmm. And it blew up. It just like absolutely blew up. And I think it was because it had people had started to hear about it, but they hadn't seen a picture of it yet. And then the picture was like the first of the pictures to kind of go up. And then obviously like Sedona, Sedona Prince from Oregon kind of took it to TikTok. And I was like, good, like, take it girl. Like you're an athlete, you got a following, like you go girl, but that's where it started. And it was, yeah, it was kind of crazy to see how social media just took off with it. Yeah. What was the response? Did the NCAA step up and, communicate to you guys? So there were a few responses. Initially, no, there was nothing. And then I think some of the coaches started to 
trip up about it. And then we, um, myself and Molly Benetti were invited to come onto a zoom call with the administrators of the NCAA and all the head coaches and talk about the discrepancy in facility. And at that time that we were also discussing things like food and lodging and, you know, obviously we're not, we're not going to be quiet about this. So then other people start posting about it and it starts becoming obviously a huge deal. So then the NCAA has like their chief medical officer reach out to us and he's asking, you know, like, well, what, you, what would you want? And he tasks myself and a few other strength coaches to come up with like a wish list of like what we would want for them to remedy the situation. <laughs> so we're like, okay, okay, like, you know, get our heads together and we're suddenly like texting away on this, this thread and we're coming up with an idea. And obviously like, we're not going to ask for what the guys have one. We need it like tomorrow. Well, we need it like yesterday, but like we need it tomorrow. So we're not going to ask for a full, like, you know, elaborate setup like they had. Um, but yeah, we came up with that list and we sent it back to them and we got like a response. It was like noted. Thanks. And then, you know, we, we're kind of getting word that like the NCAA is like working on a solution, but it's like super ambiguous and we show up, um, and basically what they had done is they had told us that when we got to the sweet 16, they were going to make us a bigger setup. So what I think they did, and I don't have obviously like hundred percent certainty on this, but I think what they did is they just expedited the construction of that sweet 16 setup. And then they just like put it in a different area. Cause like the, the claim was that there was no space. <laughs> there was a lot of space. Um, yeah, it, it was just, it was disappointing that, you know, obviously we, we did a lot of work to like try to help. Like we were just like trying to help them with solutions. We like, okay, mm -hmm. this happened. we this was messed up. How are we going to actually take action on it to get us to be able to train like today? And that, that just like, didn't really come to fruition. And it felt like we were being listened to, but just like very superficially, like we're going to listen to you, but just so that you, this problem just can kind of leave the news cycle. Um, and yeah, it was, to be honest with you, it was to the point where I was like, okay, I just want to win a game. Like this all happened before we even played our first game in text. I was like, I was like, shit, man. Like what if we're the first number one seed to lose to a 16 seed? Cause we're all distracted. And like our girls are, you know, they're like, they're coming up to me in the elevator. Like, Allie, like you're like going viral. And I'm like, please just focus on basketball. <laughs> yeah. To share with our listeners what happened on the court in the following weeks. Yeah, we just kept winning. Um, we we got exceptionally lucky in the final four. We won our last two games by a point apiece. But I, I will go on record saying that I think our experience having to live our first nine weeks on the road and then, you know, from there on anything, you know, the bubble felt short. The, the mm -hmm. three-week bubble was like nothing. That didn't really affect our girls. So I think by that point, we were seasoned and we were ready. And, and you know, to win, you have to be healthy, you have to be good, and you have to be lucky. And we had a decent dose of each of those by the end. Yeah, and memories for for the young women for a lifetime. From the beginning and that, that team, maybe this becomes the strategy for your head coach moving out. Like, hey, Dear we're going to move to I Vegas. <laughs> Let's go spend three months in Vegas for a little bit. And then 
come back and kick ass. I really hope not. Oh man, you can. Yeah, if I had to go back in time to that moment where we were told we were moving to Vegas, I was not a happy camper. Yeah, I can't imagine hotel living. The and on the other side of the coin, I hope you know awareness. There's actually solutions moved into this. Do you feel it's it's bringing in a light to the value of a sports performance coach? Was there anyone on any sports? performance representative on that board or the call nope and that was really what we were we were asking for by the end they're like okay so what can we do going forward we're like okay so on all of these oversight committees that do the planning for these championship events there are sports medicine people there are admins there are ops people there are media people why isn't there a sports performance professional that seems like a huge miss you know um performance extends far beyond just the weight room it's you know, the amount of time between games, it can be recovery, it can be X, Y, and Z. And to not even like consult one seems like a huge glaring hole in the operation. So that's, you know, that's ultimately, I think what we want, we wanted the legacy of this tournament to be, whether that actually, you know, comes to fruition is a different story, but I'm hoping, you know, obviously this year was different with the COVID year, but I think that needs to be something that um, needs, to, needs to be put on the books for the future. Definitely. And man, there's the sports performance coach gets to spend so much time with these individuals and it's so much more than, than weightlifting strength, power, and all the the fun stuff we want to write down. But at the same time, like we use those tools to accelerate the character development and the individual self-confidence and the, the camaraderie and the team building aspect. So there is value there for student athletes to take into the real world and, whatever the hell the excuse the NCAA is, is using to not value this aspect of, of sports performance. Absolutely. You know, I think it's, it is, like you said, uh, it's a huge miss. We do have our pulse on the team. Um, a, a sports performance coach is uniquely embedded in a culture. And why wouldn't you? It doesn't cost them anything to have an extra set of ears and eyes on the board. So why wouldn't you? That would be my call to action for them. Well, there you go. And call to action, Allie, if our listeners out there want to learn more about you as a coach, as an individual, and then the art of coaching and the endeavor you're taking on, where do they go? Um, well, they can, you can certainly follow me on social media. Sometimes I have some funny Instagram story rants about lack of air conditioning in my apartment. Um, that would be Kirshner.ally on Instagram. And I think I'm Ally Kirshner on Twitter. Although to, to be fair, I'm less so on Twitter. And then I've recently taken over the AO coaching Instagram account. So you can also find out more about art of coaching there or on our website, artofcoaching.com. Mm-hmm. And I can't say enough about the, the online education experience they provide, but nothing beats that practical in-person improv showing how poor communicator you are. And then, man, it's, it's a great time. It's a, an infotaining weekend experience. And I can't say enough about that uh, apprenticeship and the, I guess now I can say the whole art of coaching team, not just name the individuals. 
Yeah. Well, Tex, we're going to have to get you back out to another one because they have changed. We iterate. No two apprenticeships are the same. I like to think that we're getting, getting better. We're getting better. We like to make people sweat even more now. So yeah, it's uh, if you want to come kind of sort out some stuff that you got going on and learn more about the dirty realities and messy realities of leadership, come hang out with us at an apprenticeship. Boom. All right, Allie. Thank you very much for your time and joining us on Power Athlete Radio again. I know this won't be the last time. Bye. Appreciate you, Tex. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you'd like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye.